This is episode 277 with certified mental performance consultant and coach to professional athletes, Greg Chertok. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode will help you become a more confident runner. Confidence is a skill, one that can be grown productively over time in a way that will help you become a better runner. Greg Chertok, a performance and mental skills consultant who works with a variety of elite level athletes, is here to help us avoid being overconfident and build sports-specific confidence. If you're new here, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll become a much better runner. But strength running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning. And you can find me on Instagram if you have any questions at jasonfitz1. Our home base is strengthrunning.com. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world, no matter how fast you might be, with our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and our suite of training programs to help you accomplish your biggest goals. Learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We are supported by Inside Tracker, created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data. Inside Tracker provides a personalized health analysis from the most relevant source, your own body. Get your blood tested to find the rate at which you're aging, recommendations to optimize your health, and any physiological red flags that might negatively be impacting your running. Now you can get 20% off any blood test that they offer at insidetracker.com strengthrunning with code strengthrunning. I just got my ultimate test results back, and I certainly have a couple things that I need to work on, including my LDL cholesterol, which is a little bit high, and also my magnesium, which is a little bit surprising. What I love about this is that you get an action plan. So no matter what might be out of your optimal zone, you will then have an action plan for how to get, get it back into the right zone. Get your test at insidetracker.com strengthrunning. We're also supported by my favorite electrolyte company, Element. Just the other week, I met a runner for a beer and I brought him a box of Element. I just consider myself the salt fairy here in Denver. <laughs> and if you want to prevent the symptoms of electrolyte imbalances, like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness, try Element. They're offering a free gift with your first purchase if you go to drinklmnt.com strengthrunning. They'll send you a sample pack with one packet of each flavor so that you can try them all out before committing to your favorite. Go to drinklmnt.com strengthrunning to claim your free gift. Okay, my guest today is Greg Chertok, a certified mental performance consultant who has over a decade of experience developing mental toughness training programs for athletes and coaches ranging from youth to professionals. He's worked with NCAA champions, Stanley Cup hockey players, Super Bowl champs, and Olympians. Our conversation today is about confidence, how to build it, what running-specific confidence really is, how to avoid confidence traps and becoming overconfident, and a lot more. If you want to work on your mental skills, don't miss our free mindset email course at strengthrunning.com brain. The most important muscle to your running is your brain, so let's train it with as much intention as we do our own body. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Greg Chertok. Hey, Greg, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you about confidence, which I think is such a valuable mental skill for athletes and in particular runners who really need a lot of confidence to go after their big goals, to perform well. Uh, but I think confidence is an often misunderstood mental skill. Uh, so I'm, I'm really interested in hearing about your perspectives on it your experience working with so many different types of athletes, uh, not just different levels of athlete from recreational to professional and Olympic level athletes, but also athletes in a variety of different sports. So thanks so much for being here. I think confidence is one of those kind of sexy mental skills terms like motivation or focus that a lot of athletes and, and coaches in their post-game interviews are going to throw out 
often and, and, and often make attributions to why performance was or wasn't good. Um, you, you'll oftentimes hear athletes say, you know, I was feeling really confident or I, I just didn't have the confidence today. And, and coaches will make similar kind of, de- of descriptions to their teams. And, but oftentimes when I, when I challenge an athlete to, to, to define confidence, uh, similar to those other terms like focus and, and motivation, those kind of commonplace Nike locker room motivational terms, oftentimes they're at a loss and can't really qualify it. And I think that's dangerous because, you know, if, if we're going to be using terms freely, we, we might as well know what they mean. Um, and I think with runners in particular, the idea of confidence is important, just as it is with maybe golfers or bowlers or tennis players or, or field goal kickers, because I think by nature of being a, a solitary sport, being in isolation, you're, you're kind of alone with your thoughts. You don't really oftentimes, unless you're you're with a running group or you, you've designated time to you know be running alongside other people, oftentimes running is kind of isolated and, and you're left there to, to kind of manage your own thoughts and your own confidence and your own feelings. And, and that kind of amplified focus on how you're feeling can make it all the more important to, to, to kind of manage well. And I think when, when, when people talk about confidence, very simply, it's, it's our belief in our ability to, to accomplish stuff. And we, we may not think of it as in, in terms of it being an everyday kind of a term, but you know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm confident in my ability to successfully put on my socks and to locate my shirt. And I'm confident in my ability to maybe scramble the eggs just the way that I want them. Um, However, I'm not confident in my ability to solve, uh, you know, quantum physics or to speak Romanian. So, so I think confidence is oftentimes one of those terms that people will use flatly, like she's either confident or she's not. He's got it or he doesn't. Whereas confidence is rather than it being more of a of a trait quality, it's really more of a state quality. A trait quality means that it's kind of a dispositional part of us. Um, you either have it or you don't. Whereas it being a state quality means that you know, there are areas of our life that we're inevitably more confident in than others. And those areas that we're not all that confident in have the ability to be adapted based on how we choose to think and how we choose where we choose to focus our attention to make it more of a strength. And I think I find it most dangerous when I, I work with an athlete who kind of throws his hands up and he says, well, I'm just not confident. As though he's saying, well, I'm just not seven foot five and there's nothing I can do about it, which, which makes the quality seem fixed in his mind. And hey, if I'm not confident and there's nothing that I can do about it, why the hell am I going to work on it? So I think it's an important myth to bust that A, confidence is kind of multi-layered and multifaceted, that no one is purely confident in, in everything that they do, even in their sport, and that confidence is also a malleable, expandable, growable quality that based on where we choose to put our attention and how we choose to manage this this quality of ours, it can grow or it can shrink. I think that's a really great point, Greg. And, and I'm glad that we started with a good definition of confidence because I think you're absolutely right. This word gets thrown around a lot and it can mean different things in different settings. And, and I like how you really simplified things. And you said confidence is simply your self-belief that you can do something. Is, is, is it really that simple? Is there a, an expanded definition that you also use? Or is it simply our belief that we can get something done? I think that that's as simple as it gets. And, and, and really in the, in, the, in the psychological literature, and it's called self-efficacy. Um, in, in, in the sports psychological context. And self-efficacy, which is a fancy way of saying self-confidence, is defined as just that. It's our belief in our ability to accomplish stuff. I've heard other kinds of definitions that I also kind of cling on to and I find a lot of value in. I think that our ability to accomplish things without necessarily changing who we are and, and kind of remaining true to ourselves is also a really important facet to to the whole confidence piece. And so I guess if I were to broaden it just a bit, and I really do think, Jason, that you know the, the, the art form of 
dispensing mental skills advice and, and the art form of, of of becoming more mentally strong it, it it lies in the simplicity i think you know making mental and psychological concepts complicated and and seemingly less attainable there's really no benefit and value in that so so i think if i'm going to i'm going to define confidence it would be centered around you know our belief in our ability to accomplish things by remaining as as true to ourselves as as possible i love it and the fact that it's malleable, the fact that it is not just some innate quality that can't be changed, like our height or you know our our shoe size, is really really valuable for any athlete, in particular runners too. Uh, how does this relate to having a growth mindset? Is it this ability for us to kind of look at the lay of the land, see our goals, evaluate where we are at currently in terms of our uh, athletic performance, and then believing that we can grow into, in other words, have the self-efficacy to become the person that we'd like to be athletically. Yeah. And I think the, the growth mindset is is a perfectly appropriate way to uh, to kind of couch what confidence is. Because like we had said, if, if, if I'm to believe that confidence is fixed and unchanging, uh, just as I might when I was in high school and I thought that I was just flatly a bad math student, that didn't heighten my motivation to study harder, to prepare better for tests. It, it made me less willing to go the extra mile because if, if I'm a bad math student, what's the point of even putting in the, the extra work? If, if I know it's just simply not a strength of mine, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of shelf it and focus on, on, on the items that I think I'm more successful in. So I think having a fixed mindset in something will, at least psychologically speaking, if I think that confidence is fixed, then I'm going to persist shorter in the face of adversity. I'm going to kind of give up earlier. If, I'm, if I think that that confidence is, uh, is an unchanging entity and I either have it or I don't, and you know, I, uh, there's something that happens, and inevitably, Jason, that something happens during the course of a run, during the course of a competition that doesn't go our way. And kind of shakes our confidence momentarily. That's just the nature of being human. Is that you know it's impossible to robotically feel a certain way all the time. And I think that's also a myth that some people have about what it means to be mentally tough, which is to be you know strictly and exclusively confident. It's just it's just not possible. So when something happens, when there's some distraction, when there's some negative thought, when there's some doubt or qualm or worry or external um, you know, stimulus that that's taking our attention and then our confidence takes a hit. Well, if, if, if I think that, you know, the confidence I have is the confidence I have and I'm not able to really change it. Once my confidence takes a hit, I'm going to throw up my hands and say, oh crap, now what? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be kind of deer in headlights-ish and, and, and not really know where, where, where to turn moving forward. But, but if I'm viewing confidence from a growth mindset, that this is something that maybe right now I'm not fully competent in. I'm not fully whole in, uh, in, in, in my sense of confidence, but, but I know that through some work and some practice and, and some mindful exercise, I, I'm able to grow it. Well, then I know that, that when my confidence takes a hit, that's just kind of an opportunity for me to flex that mental muscle a little bit more. And every time my confidence takes another hit, it's, it's a, a chance for me to do a mental push-up. And the more I'm kind of working at, at, at assuming the sense of confidence, the stronger it gets. And, and I think the, the analogy of, of confidence being kind of synonymous with bathing, I mean, you have to kind of do it all the time to get the intended effects is, is really true. That confidence is a growable quality that every time we inevitably have moments of you know, poor confidence, it's just an opportunity for us to like, get stronger by getting back on the highway. I like that a lot. And uh, the example you used about not being good at math when you were in school uh, really resonated with me because I, I fell into that trap myself. But, you know, one of the things that I think is just really great about being a runner is that if you are consistent, then you do get pretty consistent uh, this consistent stimulus that you're getting better. You can run further. You can do longer workouts. Your race times are getting faster. And and I think over time that 
uh, in hindsight, looking back on things, that really helped me develop more of a growth mindset. Um, and, and the the way that you're describing confidence as, <laughs> I really like this, as like bathing, something that you have to do regularly for you to get the full benefits of, uh, I, I really like. And I'd love to explore that a little bit more and talk more about, you know, what are some of those things that you can do in your, uh, in your training to help build up your confidence. A lot of the times, you know, I like to call these small wins, you know, little uh, achievable goals that you can set your, for yourself that gradually build up your confidence over time. And, and like you said, your confidence is always going to take a hit. You're going to have a bad workout, a bad race, things aren't going to go your way. And so I think it's really important for us to build in these regular confidence boosters into your training. What are some things that you have found to work really well to build that confidence in your athletes? Before I answer that question, I do want to expound on what you said before, Jason, which is, I think, one of the the dangerous directions that a lot of athletes go in is that they view confidence as something that, that doesn't require constant work. That, hey, if, if before the run I say to myself, you got this, then we'll doesn't that mean I should be confident throughout the entirety of the three-hour com- competition? Or if, if I'm able to visualize something positive, well, doesn't that mean that I've done my job and, and now confidence should be there? I think that's that's another fallacy. And, and another way to equate confidence is if, if you were to, to own a dog and you were taking the dog out on, on a walk and you've told the dog many times uh, not to urinate on the Johnson's front lawn, but the dog kind of deviates toward the toward the lawn and it looks like it's about to uh to to relieve itself you would you would pull on the leash and, and kind of bring the dog back on track and say no we don't do that and if the dog does it again 10 seconds later you would pull again and if the dog does it 12 dozen times more you would kind of pull back on the leash you wouldn't after the third time you know throw the leash down look up to the heavens and say i can't control this dog you would constantly kind of bring the dog back to where it needs to be and and, and that really is the same kind of relationship that we humans should have with our minds. Our, our minds should be kind of treated like a like an errant puppy in that we can't expect that a couple of positive words here and there, once every couple of nights, once every couple of, of, uh, of competitions is sufficient in bringing our confidence back. We have to almost be readied for the possibility that in any given moment, just by having a human brain, we're, we're going to be flooded with some doubts and fear and anxiety. And just like we, we, we have to be mindful in and patient in continuously pulling the rope or the leash back of the dog back on the road we have to be kind of readied to pull our confidence back in with with the right kind of thinking and not look up and say well i've already given myself 12 positive statements how much more do i have to do i think that's the wrong way to go about it that that, that as a human being especially in doing something that's important to you and we're talking about athletes who are doing things in which they have a huge emotional investment, like performing well in their sport, it should matter to us. And when something matters to us, there's going to be a heightened emotional experience with that. And, and you know, a, a more prominent analytical thought process when there's something that, that, that we really care about. So we have to be prepared to kind of bring our confidence back on track. And, and, and so there are, there are a number of ways that we can accomplish this. I, I don't think that there's any one panacea. There's no one mental skill that is ubiquitously beneficial for everyone. So I think that one of the, the, the major lessons that I've learned over the years of consulting is that everyone is idiosyncratic, Jason, which means that everyone is different. And what what instills a sense of confidence in one person might be very different th- than, than something that's needed to instill confidence in another. And that doesn't only mean, you know, gender differences or um, or sporting differences, but even you know, people on the same team who play the same position might require different ways of going about building their confidence. Um, so, so some of the ways that, that, that we can begin to do this is in no particular order. Number one, remembering our performance accomplishments. I think there's no greater confidence booster than our ability to remember our past successes. And, you know, I'm, I'm remembering back to a, a high-level junior gymnast who I had once worked with who over the course of three months had suffered uh, two consecutive concussions on the same back tumble routine. Uh, she had over-rotated on one of them, and on the other one, she, she had slipped off the bar, um, off the beam, rather. 
And two concussions later, she's kind of terrified to get back on the mat and says to her mom, there's, there's no way. I'm done. And her mom, in, in kind of a desperate attempt to have her daughter rekindle her love for, for gymnastics, came in to see me. And, and one of the questions I asked was um, to the girl was, when you think of back tumbling now, what are the images that come to mind? And she said, well, you know, whenever I think of back tumbling, I'm constantly going back to those two moments. I'm constantly harping back to the, the, the two injuries. And in fact, it's so, it's so pervasive. It's so serious now that even in my dream, I'm having nightmares about breaking my neck. So, so it, it's kind of infiltrating your subconscious. And you don't have to be a, a psychologist to, to pose the question, you know, if, if she can't even imagine doing the movement, how, how on earth can we expect her to do it for real? And I think that goes into the power of mental imagery, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. But, but if you were to think of where she was putting her attention over those several months of, of struggling, she was focusing purely on those two isolated concussive moments, which of course were significant and scary and traumatizing in their own right. But she had a decade's worth of back tumbling moments in which she did it well and in which she had done it with confidence. But she had chosen, and I, I can understand why somebody would be prompted to make this choice, but she was only focusing on her past failures. She was only focusing on the moments in which she didn't do it, as opposed to you know, rewinding the tape a couple of extra months and looking back at this like horde of archive of, of mental movies in which she had done it well. And, and so one of the things that, that helped her, along with, with many other athletes in, in similar situations, was being mindful of where am I putting my attention? Am I remembering back to purely the bad moments? And, and let's also remember, Jason, that just as human beings, we're naturally wired to, to spend more attention and put more power to the negative stuff than to the positive stuff. So it's, it, it's, it's understandable why we would shift our attention to, 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 to those kind of powerfully negative moments. But she also had the option to, to recall some, some other moments, some more successful moments. And so her ability to do that really had a, a big impact on her confidence. Well, it seems like a very effective strategy because, you know, if confidence is your uh, uh, belief that you can do something, well, if you've already done it in the past, then your belief that you can do it again should be pretty high, right? Sure. Exactly. Yeah. However, you know, as, 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 human as imperfect human beings, sometimes what, what seems like a logical formula, um, it doesn't always pan out that way. And, and I think one of the things that, that that I'll remind my clients is is to is to stop shooting shooting on themselves. That's S H O U L D. Stop shooting on yourself. You know, I, I should be feeling more confident. I mean, after all, look how well I did last time. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should be feeling this way, which kind of invalidates, you know, and 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 strips you of 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 how you're actually feeling. I think everyone is entitled to feel the way that they feel, but to also understand that if I'm feeling a certain way it doesn't mean that I have to kind of helplessly sit back in my seat and accept it. I'm able to do something about it. Um, and, and one way to do that is by, you know, spending meaningful time recalling past successes, whether that means writing it down, whether it means having conversations about it with training partners, whether it means documenting it on videos, whether it means, you know, mentally rehearsing and, 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 and using the power of imaginal experience or, or imagery to kind of foster that feeling again. There is no one right way to recall past successes, but to understand that, that what's meaningful and impactful to me, which might be having a conversation with you, Jason, about that great game I had last week, that may prove to be co more confidence boosting than sitting back in a chair, settling and focusing on, on my breathing and vividly recalling in, in this kind of you know, specific, precise detail what it felt like and what it looked like to perform those are two very different ways of going about it. One of them is, is you know, interacting with another human being. Another one is kind of creating these these vivid mental pictures. Neither one is objectively a better way of going about it. But I do challenge people to to even ask themselves: Have I even made, you know, valid attempts to kind of stick with one of these routines? Have I spent meaningful time, maybe consistent time, writing or journaling about what's going well? In, in training, as opposed to just focusing on what I need to improve? Am I spending meaningful time like having conversations about you know, how, how meaningful my past successes were? 
and, and how great it's felt and how excited I am to do it again. I think a lot of people will will attempt a mental skill like imagery um, or deep breathing, and then they'll walk onto their performance arena and it won't quote, and I'm, I have air quotes here, it won't work because maybe their performance isn't majorly impacted and they'll, they'll, they'll throw their hands up and say, well, it didn't work. I, I, imagery doesn't work. And they'll quickly, sh- you know, shift on to the next mental skill of the week. So I think that, that whatever skill we're talking about requires some significant and dedicated practice. I would say between 60 and 90 days of continuous practice is what leads to, you know, behavioral change and leads to the establishment of a new habit. So I, I think if somebody is going to commit to working on their confidence, choose choose a modality that seems right for you. Choose a writing exercise, choose a mental imagery exercise, You know, dedicate five to 10 minutes of conversation a day to, to talk in the most confident tones. And after two to three months, see where that's gotten you. And we, we can always reassess and reevaluate afterwards. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, a really important point that it has to be consistent and that you have to really put some time into it. You know, I, I think a lot about, you know, the training side of of running as a coach. And, you know, of course, you know, it reminds me of a runner who does a, a single track workout and then on the weekend goes to run a race and they don't run very well. And they're like, well, that workout didn't work. Well, it's not really about the workout. It's about the total body of work that you've put in over the last several months and and even several years to get you to this point. And and I think there's some really distinct parallels there. Um, And and I like that you kind of put a a solid time frame on how long it takes to really develop these mental skills uh, and really to affect habit change. And and that's a, you know, 60 to 90 days, uh, I think of being really consistent with you know, some of the mental exercises that we've been talking about. Um, I'd love to talk about a different dimension of confidence. I think a lot of us look at confidence and think about it. And, you know, we're thinking about as runners standing confidently on the starting line of a race. We're in, we're in the power pose. We have a lot of self-belief, but confidence really seeps into so many other areas of our athletic lives besides just the races themselves. When else do you think is confidence really critical for for athletes? I think that the most critical time is it probably lies in our training. If and, and I'm I'm going back to your point, Jason, that that um, it, it would be silly to to expect to dedicate one isolated moment of training and, and expecting it to have kind of performance effects. That that we're spending arguably sixty to eighty percent of our time. In training and preparation for the the uh, you know for the reward of, of of a good performance during during a competition or a tournament, so I think most of our time is spent in training and preparation and you know building our minds and building our bodies so that it's ready to perform when it's really quote important or meaningful. And so I think that bringing confidence to training means means a couple of things. I think number one, it means that you feel like, and I'm, I'm, I'm quoting one of my athletes who, who feels that confidence is, is born from, from his ability to leave no stone unturned. In other words, for him, when he knows he's worked his butt off in training, he's, he's dealt with his nutrition, he's getting the right kind of sleep, he's doing his, his mental works. When, when he's leaving no stone unturned, he knows there's literally nothing else he can do. What else can you do other than everything that you can to kind of ready and strengthen yourself for the moment of competition? So I think that that confidence comes from being able to to push yourself, ideally out of your comfort zone, and, and we could certainly talk more about that, but our ability to get comfortable being uncomfortable in training, because inevitably, during the course of a race, during the course of, of any competition, we're going to be uncomfortable. If our reaction in training has been to kind of avoid that feeling, or to want to escape it, or, or to, to maybe stop putting forth effort when we start feeling pain or fatigue or burning, then that's probably what's going to happen in competition. So I think confidence comes from being able to push ourselves mightily in practice and training, but also, and I think this is probably the, the most important piece, Jason, is to be able to simulate the real competitive experience in training. And I'm sure, and, and, and this actually conjures the memory for me of working with a, a college level field goal kicker a number of years ago who 
who went from from competing at, at a high school where he must have been playing in front of a thousand people to now playing at a high division one level in front of 80,000 people. And, and the idea of letting down the community, letting down his fans, led him to kind of overcomplicate in his mind the act of kicking. And I think virtually in, any, in every sport, the act of kicking a ball or putting one foot in front of the other or hitting a ball with a racket is inherently a simple thing, but we do a fine job sometimes of getting in our own way and overcomplicating things. And what he began to do is to overcomplicate the act of, of kicking. So when, when I began working with him, I asked him, tell me about your, your, your practice environment. How do you train for the big moment? And, and he said, well, when, when, I'm, when I'm practicing during the week, I'm out there on my empty practice field. I've got a, in, my, in, in my sweatsuit, I've got a huge bucket of balls. I've got a tee and I'm, I'm out there for about an hour. Which superficially, Jason, I mean, it sounds like a, a fine way of practicing until you ask yourself the question, is this really simulating the competitive environment? And you don't have to know much about football even to be able to, to answer vehemently, no. I mean, there aren't, there aren't 11 guys running at you trying to break your shins as a kicker. There's not the roar of the crowd. There's not the, the, the pressure of success. I mean, he wasn't even wearing a helmet, which as, as a field goal kicker, whenever it matters, you're wearing a helmet and, and it weighs a couple of pounds. It narrows your vision, scrunches your cheeks. So, so, so what, what he committed to was trying to better simulate the competitive environment in training. So he began um, wearing, wearing his helmet and, and within his helmet, he would put his earbuds in and he, he had downloaded, he had found a video on YouTube with the title, quote, speaker warning. Typical crowd noise at a Seattle Seahawks game. And the Seahawks are known for their their vibrant, like I think per decibel level, the loudest stadium in the National Football League. And it was two and a half minutes of this fan in the upper deck capturing through audio just you know the, the wild ruckus of the crowd following a, a Seahawks touchdown. And it, it, it's this deafening two and a half minutes that any human being, when you're listening at maximal volume in your headphones, is prone to you know, tense your body and to think, oh, I don't want to be here anymore and, and to want to get things over with. And, and so what he began to do was listen to the sound because it really simulated the, the competitive environment. When he was kicking for real, that's what he heard. Why would you practice with no noise if when it really matters, you're going to be hearing lots of noise? So at first, you can imagine, Jason, listening to that, to that crowd noise made him quicken his steps, it made him quicken his breathing. His muscles would get tense, his body temperature would rise, his blood pressure would spike up, and, and his kicking form would kind of deteriorate. But over time, with the exposure, and I think that's a huge component too, that exposing yourself to the difficulty or to the adversity, it hardens you to it. It makes you more comfortable dealing with it. So that after a while, he began to say, this, this is something I can work with. And then when he got into the real game, it, this is what confidence sounds like. The, these seven magical words, I feel like I've been here before. I feel like I've been here before. And, and he was not able to say that prior to, to simulating the competition in training. But, but once he began uh, really pumping in the kind of stimuli that got him distracted, then when it really mattered, he felt like yeah, it's, it's not fun to hear 80,000 screaming fans, most of them giving me a really hard time. But I feel like I've, I've practiced this already. So I feel like like confidence is born from not only working hard in your training setting, but also in your training setting, are you able to simulate, whether it's mentally or physically or emotionally, simulating what it's going to be like on race day? Because on race day, you want to be able to say to yourself, ooh, this kind of stinks. I, I wasn't really expecting that, but I've prepared for it. And so I know how to deal with it. But I've been here before. I love that line. And that example you used, even though I've never played football, I'm five foot seven, I would probably get destroyed on the <laughs> football field. <laughs> but, you know, it, it very much reminds me of the very unique experience of standing on the starting line of a very big race. You have the announcers announcements, they uh, there's usually the national anthem, and then there's the countdown to the gun. You hear the gun. That is an experience that gives me a physiological reaction whenever I really uh, visualize myself being there. And, and, and I think you speaking to the fact that our training 
has to be well-structured and very specific to the the race or the competition that we're going to experience, whatever our, our goal event might be, I think is really powerful because what it's saying is that if you can design your training in such a way so that when you get to the race and you experience the crowd, you experience the distance of the race, the pace of the race, and all of the factors that go into making racing such a unique experience, the more you can uh, experience that during training and the more you can engineer those opportunities for yourself, the better you're going to do on race day because like you've said, you've been there before. Exactly right. And, and you could appreciate, Jason, how, how a lot of people, even with this knowledge, might still be avoidant to do that because it's not fun to train that way and to practice that way. And, and I think we have to be mindful of the kind of goals we have in, 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 in participating in our sport. If, if our goals are just for exercise and enjoyment, well, maybe you needn't do this. Maybe training with while simulating the real competitive experience isn't something that's mandatory. But if your goals are a certain level of performance, then we know that in any inherent in any performance are obstacles and, and some adversity and, and some unpredictable moments. So we have to be willing. Willing doesn't mean that we always want to, but, but, but we're, we're committing and, and willing to put ourselves in less convenient, less familiar, less comfortable moments in training, while you know we're, we're very aware that that's where none of us really want to be. Training for a lot of us is just you know viewed as casual and predictable. But but I guess I'm challenging runners to reinterpret their relationship with training that it should be um, you know the the opportunity to expose yourself to some of the more uncomfortable moments that you might experience in race day. You know, as as I've been digging more into these topics and talking more about mental fitness, I've found myself coming back to this line over and over again. And that's, you know, in a race situation, you don't rise to the level of your expectations, you fall to the level of your training. And I think it's just so uh, applicable to this discussion, because when things get difficult, when things get stressful, when things don't go right, and they they always will become stressful and nothing ever goes perfectly. You know, if you don't have the experience from your training uh, to deal with those adverse situations, then, you know, you're not going to all of a sudden, you know, come up with some great solution. You know, you're going to fall to the level of your training. And, and I think that's a powerful way of thinking about it. That's exactly right. Um, so I think that our ability to to willingly and voluntarily put ourselves in uncomfortable moments in training is is very important. And I think also, if we were to consider the relationship we had with how we physically warm up, I'm sure every runner under the sun has a very structured, um, physical, dynamic warm up in which they, they, they might target certain muscle groups and facilitate blood flow. Uh, even the, the, the most novice runners will have some way in which they routinely and consistently and habitually warm their bodies up. But but oftentimes, most athletes don't have an answer when 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 the question is, well, what do you do to warm up your mind? What is your d dynamic mental warm up? Or what is your? Um, a lot of athletes will have the answer. Well, what if you trip physically while you're running? Everyone can, can can tell you how they're going to get back up and, and how they want to continue running, but but what if there's a moment of discomfort or doubt or distractibility? What is the mental response to that? And I think a lot of athletes are very comfortable giving answers about how they physically warm up and their physical response to things. And and, and many will claim that the mental game is hugely important, but they won't regard mentally training or having the right kind of preparing the right kind of mental response. In the same kind of a way. So, so, so I think it's also a challenge to athletes to consider what must I do beforehand to feel as comfortable and ready as possible. It doesn't guarantee success. I think that that's another really important point. Nothing guarantees success. Feeling confident doesn't guarantee success, but feeling confident will give us the best chance of being ourselves and putting ourselves in a position where we're running and racing our best. So I think being able to answer the question, what must I do physically to warm up my, my body? And also, what must I do mentally to warm up my mind are, are both questions that need to be answered by competitive runners. 
Yeah, those are ph- phenomenal questions. And and I think the idea of a mental warm-up before uh, a big effort, whether that's a workout or a race, I think is valuable uh, because something about running, maybe endurance sports in general, there's a lot of time spent in your own head. And that can be uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially today when we are constantly being bombarded by distractions and we're very rarely alone with our thoughts for an extended period of time. And, and I think practicing with um, you know that time alone without any inputs, uh, I think is really valuable. Um, now, Greg, what, what reduces our confidence? When you talk to athletes, are there confidence killers that you advise athletes to stay away from? Before I answer that question, Jason, I think there's a there's an important distinction that has to be made, and I've I've heard it labeled in this way before, and and, and it's it's uh it's a nice way of, of defining confidence. You can either be inside out confident or outside in confident. So so if if you're the kind of person that's outside in confident, you rely on you require the outside voices. You require the, the, the praise from coaches. You require the positive comments. And somebody who's reliant upon that is going to really fluctuate from feeling great about themselves in response to what, what, how people think about them and, or, and then to feeling lousy about themselves in response to how people think about them differently. And, and that gets very exhausting. So I think for people who, who are outside in confident, I think you know a big confidence killer is the, the, the negative comments and the negative feedback from others. I think if, and a lot of us fall into this category, Jason, that if, if you're the type of person who finds that a couple of doubtful comments by a colleague or a peer or a teammate or a coach, like, are you okay? You're not looking too good. What's wrong with that running style? Et cetera, et cetera. If, if those kind of comments are leading to a, a significant deterioration in your own sense of self-worth and self-confidence, it's probably time to change your confidence style from outside in to inside out. And, and, and inside out means, and I imagine right now, if I, Jason, were in the same room as you, and I were to reach over and say, oh, here's your cell phone. Let me have it. You would probably slap my hand away and say, no, no, that's my cell phone. Get your own cell phone. You would protect yourself. And, and I bet you spend a lot of time kind of polishing the screen and, and organizing the different pages because, because you, you, you treat it well. It's yours and, and you have a responsibility to treat it well. And I think with pe- for people who, who have this sort of inside out confidence that when, when people are, are kind of leaning over to, to take their confidence away with, with mean comments or, you know, an assortment of other distractions, we kind of say, no, 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 this is my confidence. And, and, and we, we, we view it as our responsibility to build ourselves up from the inside rather than solely relying on other people's words. Now, I think as human beings, we all, thrive on positive comments and then we all get a little uh, stunned and and hampered by by negative comments but but I think if we're relying on other people's words um it, it, it's a very unstable roller coasterish way of living so, so I think for for a lot of people the outside haters the, the outside doubters are, are going to get in into our way for those who who have taken a deliberate approach to being more inside out confidence that you know confidence is about where I choose to put my attention confidence is about how I choose to talk to myself and how I choose to talk about myself. And if I know who I am and what I am, what does it really matter what other people think about me? For people who have that mindset, the outside voices are less significantly damaging. Greg, what, how, how do you think about overconfidence? Is there, is there such a thing as having too much confidence and how does that manifest itself? The way I would define confidence, I guess, separately, it, based on, on, on its comparison to overconfidence. Confidence is having such supreme belief in our ability to do something well that we now put in a whole lot of effort to get it done. Whereas overconfidence is having such supreme belief in our ability to get something done that we kind of sit back and stop putting forth the effort and kick our feet up and say, <laughs> I got this. So, so I think confidence and overconfidence internally can sound very similar. But confidence is more about, you know, I'm, I'm able to see the outcome that I desire. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bust myself to get it done. Whereas overconfidence is, you know, I can see it so clearly that I probably don't have to put in the kind of work. I got this, which can lead to a lack of preparation and a lack of focus and, and therefore obviously an impact on performance. 
Yeah, I think that's important and something that I've uh, certainly experienced myself uh, and and have unfortunately um, been a victim of of thinking that I could do a certain you know performance in a race, uh, run a certain time, or beat a certain athlete, and uh, you know just because you think you can do it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen. And uh, I, I think the key there is the lack of preparation. Overconfidence means that you don't have to prepare to do well at something or to accomplish the goal. And, and I think this is really uh, uh, related to having a fixed mindset. You know, you, I can do this performance and I don't have to work for it. You know, it's almost like you being in school and you having the opposite uh, feeling as we were talking about earlier with you thinking that you're bad at math. Well, if you think you're great at math, then once you start getting into the more advanced math, the theoretical math, maybe in college, that overconfidence might really come back to bite you. And, and I think there's some interesting parallels there. And, and, and there's research, Jason, to back that up, that in an academic setting, if I were to break up a whole group of, of uh, high school student athletes into two separate groups. Group one was told to visualize getting a perfect mark on your upcoming math test. I want you to visualize the 100 splashed in red lettering. Imagine how it's going to feel, the, the, the sense of pride in response to getting that grade back. And then the second group was told to visualize getting a 70. And notice all the, the, the uh, corrections in red. Notice the kind of feeling that's elicited from, from, from getting that poor grade. I think conventional ways of thinking is, well, if you think positively, then surely positive things will come. But, but, but in, in particular research, it, what's shown is the exact opposite, that for those who, who are able to so vividly see the, the desired outcome, it actually leads to a diminished sense of preparation. Because if, if you can see it and taste it and smell it and, and, and feel it so vividly, well, then you, you might feel inclined to kind of pump the brakes and, and, and say, well, I got this, as opposed to the group who sees the 70, you're motivated to avoid that feeling. And oftentimes, some, some of the, the world's best competitors will actively think of the worst case scenarios. And how do I want to avoid this? So, so I, I don't think confidence is only about exclusively thinking and, and visualizing positivity and neglecting any kind of negativity. But it's about having the kind of perfect reaction to the adversity. And, and if, if you're going to be visualizing, and 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 you're you're brave enough to kind of venture off into not only visualizing the perfect outcome or the perfect race, but also visualizing the the less than perfect conditions, visualizing the the the, uh, the distractions, the 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 intense urge to have diarrhea, the the crowded jostling for position in the beginning, the uh, you know tense shoulders, the tired legs. That that, that imagery can also be used to kind of cope with or mentally deal with in a perfect having a perfect reaction to those imperfect moments and i think our ability to stare it, it takes some courage to stare at the the bad outcomes in the face and say this is a possibility how am i going to avoid this what is my reaction going to be should some of this stuff occur i think people who are able to visualize good and bad outcomes and understand how they want to deal with the adversarial moments are usually better off than those who are only visualizing success and things going perfectly. Because after all, things go perfectly maybe 2% of the time. Right. I think so. What you're saying is that we should visualize or, or otherwise uh, think about and have a plan for the obstacles, the adversity, the negative feelings or the uh, the uncomfort, the discomfort that we're going to experience during a competition. And by preparing for you know, the, uh, you know, the, the scenario that we don't actually want to happen, we're going to be better prepared when it may potentially happen. Is that right? I feel like I've been here before. Exactly right. <laughs> I love it. Greg, uh, this was a fascinating discussion and, and you really gave us a lot to think about. I think this is one of those conversations that we're going to be rewinding and pouring over the transcript for a while to come. So thank you for sharing your expertise. Uh, and, and I think it's been extremely valuable for our listeners. You're welcome, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to keep listening to this podcast, please support our sponsors who help me keep the show running and keep the lights on over here. 
use their links and discount codes to support the Strength Running Podcast. First, let's hook you up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is offering a free gift with your purchase if you go to drinklmnt.com strengthrunning. You'll get a sample pack with every flavor, so you can try them all out before deciding what you like best. And yes, I am still on a watermelon kick right now. Their watermelon flavor is hands down my absolute favorite. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors. It's surprisingly delicious. Everyone who I've ever given it to absolutely loves it. And it can be a really helpful way to prevent dehydration during the hot months. If you're someone who sweats a lot, or if you also just have very salty sweat, then you might need some electrolyte supplementation. And especially if you sometimes feel overly tired or you get headaches, cramps, or sleeplessness after long runs or workouts, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat, with Elemental Labs. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional teams, like baseball, hockey, and basketball, all have regular subscriptions. Check them out at drinklmnt.com strengthrunning. You'll get a free sample pack with your purchase, and you'll get your hydration optimized for the upcoming season. We're also sponsored by Inside Tracker, a company that's been around for more than 10 years to help you optimize your health, your longevity, and your running performances. Learn more at insidetracker.com strengthrunning, and you can use code strengthrunning to save 20% on their entire store. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside your body. People age at different speeds, and generic annual blood work doesn't properly evaluate your biological age, but Inside Tracker does. Inside Tracker is a truly personalized nutrition and performance system designed to extend your health span and slow down the aging process. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercises, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. You can also add InnerAge 2.0 to any plan, and that will calculate your true biological age. And you can see how you're aging from the inside out. For a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash strengthrunning. That's insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. Thanks for joining us, my friends. That's our show today. If you enjoyed it, please support us by reviewing the podcast, investing in a training program, using our sponsor's discount codes, or just sending me an email to say hi. We'll be in touch soon.